0: I can tell when I flush a toilet what is stuck in there <laughs> and people don't believe me I'm like it's a driver's license yeah it's got like a certain gurgle and then like it stops and then it fills up it's driver's license that that's the kind of stuff.
1: these are the kinds of skills you acquire along the way that no right. one really gets to be privy to yeah Welcome to The Morse Code Podcast, where we talk with entrepreneurially-minded creatives in music, film, and writing. My name is Corby, and I'm hoping these conversations inspire you to push deeper into your own work, whether you're a full-time professional or just starting out on your own creative odyssey. Before I get to our guest, The Morse Code Podcast is celebrating its six-month anniversary with a live show. That's happening Sunday, April 14th at the Five Spot here in East Nashville. Many of the guests we've had on the show are performing that night. Guests like Jill Andrews, Abigail Compst, Lamont Coleman, Boo Ray, James Kyson, and loads more. I'll probably even get up there and do a song or two. Tickets go on sale March 4th at my website, corbylanke.r.com. Okay, not to brag, but that's pretty much a perfect segue to our guest, Todd Sherwood. He's the owner and lead talent booker at the five spot not only is that where the anniversary show is going to be but the five spot is the legendary club of east nashville a place i've played countless times over 20 years i've also seen some of the best shows of my life there the recent joe pasapia residency comes to mind todd has run the club since taking it over from the old owners back in the aughts one of the reasons i'm excited about this conversation is because we get into the history of the club a story that doesn't exist anywhere on the internet not on the five spot website nothing Todd tells some hilarious stories about the realities of running a successful rock club for 20 years, and he has some practical advice for bands and artists who book shows at his or really any small club in terms of making it a positive experience for everybody. If you get something out of the Morse Code podcast, please take a second to like and subscribe. It really does help. And now, here's my conversation with Todd Sherwood. Todd Sherwood. Hello. Hello. Thanks so much for your time, man, and stopping by, making this sure long trek yep. all of four blocks. It's, over it took me studio. about
0: 45 seconds to get here. Yeah.
1: I noticed that Well, you sent me a text on my way, and I was like, oh, shit. And I got it like two minutes later. I'm like, this is pointless. Yeah. And I didn't to. even leave for a, a, a good few minutes. we were already here. <clears throat> yeah. I was having a meeting with Derek Hoke. Oh, nice. You know Derek Hoke? Yeah. Hokey? I mean, you ran the Tuesday night Tuesday or $2 Tuesdays for how long? For 13 years. Um,
0: So we were just talking about what we want to do in the future since we're not doing $2 Tuesday anymore. And before that, I was meeting with some other musicians and everyone
1: lives right here in the neighborhood. Uh, Perfect. nice, yeah. And now throwing this in here. In the spirit of the community, this is just another thing on your list of things to do. Yep. I gave Junebug 10 bucks. Do you know Junebug? No, I don't. He's the neighborhood
0: guy that's like, there he is. Hey, can I get two bucks? I gave him 10 bucks today, Wow, which is rare. That's, um, that's what you had on you. you know, I cut him off on his birthday because I posted something on the neighborhood Facebook page. It's Junebug's birthday. Holler happy birthday to him when you see him on the corner at five points. And somebody raised like 350 bucks oh. uh, and on that page to give to him. He and, loved that. And so everyone made me go and give it to him because I'm <laughs> friends with him. <laughs> and I was like, Jimmy I have 350 bucks for you. Happy birthday. Uh, Little did you know. And he was very happy. I found out a lot about him. He was, a, he was in the army. A bomb went off next to him. He's got brain damaged. So that's why he's on the corner. Mm. Uh, but I was like... Three hundred fifty bucks. Just leave me alone for like a week, because I have a lot to do. And you just come in and you just you don't leave me alone until I give you ten bucks. Give me a week. And he was there the next day, (laughs) being like, "Hey man, I need nine bucks." I was like, "He's got brain damage, and I have to always remember that." Yeah. Like, okay, but I cut him off. And then
1: today, uh I gave him ten bucks. Turned him on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Anyways. you're a good soul, man, <laughs> and, uh, a community, a pillar of the community. No, you really are. Okay. So let me, let's just jump into this. Cause my first question is what would compel you in it or anyone to open a rock club?
0: Well, I was not the, I'm not the original owner. Uh, I was helping 2002 or three or four sometime around there. I was helping out an, a restaurant that had a big room and I put a, Venue in that big room, and they were a mess. That place shut down. Where was that
1: place? Just it curious. was on
0: 12th South. It had a really stupid name. What, uh, what was it that? It was name? called Hair of the Dog because it was supposed to be like a brunch spot. Uh-huh. So people would come in and get Hair of the Dog. I mean, Whatever. it's not
1: that bad. I'd enjoy a Hair of the Dog. Yeah, but it,
0: it became a nightclub called hair of the dog <laughs> for with bands playing every night yeah because i helped build the a stage room. and all that and um there used to be before myspace and facebook and everything there was nashville yeah. which is a little forum so people could you couldn't even post pictures in it it was just this is an online forum um when that club shut down the people at the five spot read it and i lived in the neighborhood and they just asked if I would come and work there. So I worked there for two years. Uh, tornado came in 2006. Oh, that one. Yeah. And it took, uh, bones and Diane's house. Bones and Diane are the original owners that built the five spot. They graciously brought me in to help run the place. They lost their home in a tornado. They had to step back. Diane was getting a, uh, degenerative brain disease that mm-hmm. no one knew what it was. So, um, well, that was later. Travis and I buy into the business just to take over for them for next to nothing. Like they were very generous with us. They just kind of passed it on to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had to get, they didn't have a liquor license or anything like that. So we had to get a liquor license, new beer permits and kind of go through the process of, opening up a new place even though it was already had been there the name
1: for, was there the room was there the mm-hmm. stage was in the same spot the bar was in the same spot bar was in the same spot
0: we didn't change any of like the uh hard infrastructure so uh
1: was this would this been back in the time of like uh the slow bar or is mm-hmm. this a little after that oh well
0: no it was after three crows still are there this travis and i bought in and like t- end of 2006 mm-hmm. Which we just had, the Five Spot just had its 20-year anniversary Congrats, party. Congrats, man. That was last year. Just did, though. Kind of, yeah. So we're almost up to 21 years. Uh, but Travis and I have been the main operators since 2007, and which is still a long time. I was 27 years old with, like, the keys to a bar and they were like how did you
1: here you to go. survive you
0: that? run this place 27 year olds are better than 25 year olds but it's still only two years better right.
1: yeah i don't know yeah um so did you have um okay so back up a little bit more than that did, were you in bands growing up were you interested in music would your parents play what why did, did you start to hang you know hanging around rock culture
0: um i bounced around from colleges Ended up at MTSU, uh, got went to school for the recording industry and the music biz, and uh, I don't know. I, uh, 2004, 2003, I started running sound, live sound. Mm -hmm. They don't teach you that at MTSU or any, at the time they didn't teach that at any school. You just had to, you could either do it or you couldn't, so 2004, it was me and Frank Sass and, oh, good the guy from the end, the big dude from the end, Brad, uh, and a few other really big dudes. Physically. Statu- Physically statu- and speaking. way older than me, and they didn't like me, but I started kind of weaseling my way into running sound at all these different places in Nashville, small places um, the place I was trying to open up hair of the dog, uh, radio cafe oh, yeah. up here. The uh, first
1: place I ever played,
0: uh, the muse, oh, I ran man. down there a bunch of times. I don't so, remember the muse. It's now a dominoes. It's on fourth <laughs> by the interstate, but it was like metal bands, punk bands, mm. underage stuff. Um, so I was just uh, running sound, live sound every mm. night
1: for, a few years. Yep. So this, it was kind of like a natural uh, progression, you could say. Mm-hmm. And and like so many things that happen in life, you know, some are scripted or intended or striven for, and some just kind of are thrust upon you. And it sounds, you know, it's like, sounds like in your case, As in mine, it's sort of a combination of those two things, like responding to circumstances and doing your best to make the best decision you can.
0: Yeah, I wasn't a kid like, I hope someday I grow up and I get to fix toilets at a music venue (laughs) and then repair a refrigerator and then email bands from around the world for the rest of my waking moments. Uh, No, I was not imagining that. It all just kind of happened. But it happened so long ago. You know, yeah. with I'm forty four, almost forty four now. Yeah. 20,
1: you don't look like a forty four year old 20, rock club owner.
0: Uh I try I try and get the mustache out to really establish my old dadness. But <laughs> uh twenty three running sound every night and and then twenty seven being the owner operator of a bar music mm-hmm. venue. Yeah. And now I'm 44, still doing the same thing, except hopefully I'm doing it better. <laughs> Maybe, I think so. Yeah, it's a lot. It's it's a lot. You kind of have to be a neurotic, like psychopath,
1: to do it all. There's just so many moving parts, and just it's it is. A comp- it's an organizational job. It's like you, keeping. It's like a practical, like nickels and dimes approach to keeping the website current, promoting uh, the shows, uh, dealing with people all the time. Uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> it's like I, my whole life involves making people happy. Uh, yeah, and Customers like a band. lot of people. I mean, yeah, I'm. It's and sometimes it gets to me, and I might snap. But from all the moving parts from, let's say we have five bands playing on a Wednesday night. I have t- two bands play six to eight and three bands play nine to 12. I have all those bands. Each band has a bunch of people. I have to cater to each one of those people, the bass player in one of many people. I have to make them happy. Uh, and then there's staff I have to make sure the staff is living good lives and get making enough money to survive. And then there's the customers and they have to all be very happy. You have to do everything for them and answer all their questions that they have. And then below that you have your infrastructure, your toilets, your coolers, your roof, the stage lights, the PA system,
1: the landlord, or do you own the building?
0: Um, original owner bones, was married to Diane. Diane passed away from something similar to ALS. Mm -hmm. It was a long kind of depressing five years there, but he, they own the building. He still owns the building. He's still partner. Um, just kind of a stand back partner. Um,
1: he's meaning you're fixing the roof.
0: Well, I was fixing the roof for a very long time until recently he was, he agreed to put on a new roof and it's amazing Mm. because i had for years no one ever saw this no one knows what i do in the daytime no one knows now. but for so many years the roof the ceiling you would walk in and if you really looked you would see that there's trash bags all over like clamped and taped to the rafters to collect leaks and i had them all guttered and going in certain directions to go into one spot where there was a drain,
1: which is its own kind of a genius. And no, I
0: mean. cause I was like, the roof is leaking and it just never got fixed. But I would do this. It probably prolonged. This was probably why bones is like, I don't need a roof. Todd will probably duct tape some trash bags to the ceiling and it'll be okay. Uh, that kind of stuff.
1: Yes. Every day. Uh, And part of the... I don't even remember what the original... Well, uh, we were talking about, you know, all the moving parts and all the people that you have to make happy. So there's the bands, there's the customers, and then there's this like shellac of alcohol over everything too. Right. And late nights, which is a whole other element of chaos. Yes.
0: That's where, okay, you can be very ambitious and a hardworking person, but if you can't party hard and then get through it the next day in rough shape you're not gonna make it you're not gonna make it yeah so i am i i've been doing it a long time yeah so there's a work
1: hard (laughs) play hard component that you you know embody yes
0: all of the work is for a for a party Mm -hmm. like every every single little thing that i do ensures that people will have a fun time at night coming up soon maybe and 15 minutes when we have to open and I'm got the toilet off of the floor and I'm, dealing, and I'm getting out like a pair of glasses or a driver's license. I can tell when I flush a toilet what is stuck in there <laughs> and people don't believe me. I'm like, it's a driver's license. Yeah. It's got like a certain gurgle, and then like it stops and then it fills up. It's driver's license. That. That's the kind of stuff.
1: These are the kinds of skills you acquire along the way that no one really gets to be privy to.
0: Yeah. Like if I had to go to a college and be like a guest speaker, like, oh, so you guys want to get in the music business. Well, you should talk to plumbers and just find out what they're doing (laughs) the whole time that they're working on stuff. And electricians, most places probably call a plumber and then the plumber comes out like the next day and they pay them to do it or whatever, but all yeah. that adds up. And, you know, we're in the music business in East Nashville. Um, I'm not like I pulled up here in a 1983 Datsun pickup truck that I've been driving for a while. I'm not like making all the money.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of hard work for just getting by. I mean, this it's a noble calling. Let's say, <laughs> Yeah. And uh I mean I have I have such an affinity for club owners around the we'll just say the country. We'll limit it to the country for now. Um because of the authentic experiences they provide, the unique um and ever-changing experiences they provide for people and you know in a world of increasing um, sameness and duplication of experiences and a squelching of the human spirit rock clubs stand apart from all of that and it's a not um it's not without its rewards but the rewards are certainly not monetary because you can't scale it you're not going to open a franchise of five spots you know it's antithetical to the cost unless i'm putting an idea in your head that you might want to run with we
0: can't with. because there's already f- five spots like every city has a five spot yeah Not that I can even consider taking on another (laughs) business. That's the only thing stopping you. The name is, uh, yeah, I don't don't know how, how Cleveland, I don't know how people open up multiple locations. I guess they have a lot of financial backers and everyone does all the work for them. But instead of opening up another place, I just want to make improvements on this one place. Yeah. And that's like the opposite of the business mentality. Like if you're not growing, you're dying. It's like, I don't want to grow. Yes. I just want to stay right here. Yes. Like, that's all I want to do. I just, I just want to make, keep making this place nice and everything working. And yeah, you know, a hundred to 200 people can come in every night and just have fun and go home yeah. and leave a nice Google review.
1: <laughs> I mean, is that so much to ask?
0: Right. Like, I mean, do yeah. I have to open up another one in a, somewhere else and then open up another one. And then do I have to keep doing that or to avoid, uh, just,
1: I mean, I no is the answer. Please don't change a thing. And as somebody who's played, um, their share of clubs and each of which has a different approach to everything. Once in a while you make a mistake and find yourself in some uh, corporatized environment. Right. And the experience couldn't be less, Um, warm, hospitable, uh, genuine, um, inviting, artistic uh, than a club that's just a one-off owned by a a real person. It reminds me of the days of like the history of early rock and roll when it was local DJs that broke songs. You know, there was a person behind the choosing of whatever track got played on the air. And there's just something so much more meaningful about that than when uh, what's the clear channel gets involved and it's, you know, this is like even 10 years ago. Now it's just an algorithm on Spotify. It's all, it's so the machine man is ever encroaching. And right. we, and we we're, mere humans are fighting to like create a little space of, of genuine experience for ourselves and right? others. Yeah. So I feel like you're fighting the good fight, my man. Uh. Like, I, I have like advertisements in the
0: bathroom and some in the on the walls. You know, it's like it's called graffiti. I shouldn't even trash the company that's doing it, but sometimes I'm in there like, what are they advertising in here? Like, ugh, <laughs> like this doesn't right. Like, but yeah, we are being encroached upon. Um, this our style of club, like the medium size venue, uh, by lots of the live nation sure. kind of heavy investors like i don't want to trash talk any venue in town or anyone anywhere but some of the ones that have recently reopened or are about to reopen have so much money behind them like nah. i don't I. how does how does little people like me compete against something that's
1: well also in from the perspective Of the bands Trying to play shows I remember reading It was in the scene Just maybe five years ago Give or take um, You know The Live Nation Struck a deal With many clubs Across the country I know this mm-hmm. is kind of What you're talking about um, Clubs which won't be Mentioned in this podcast Right now uh, Were part and parcel with that right and you know what that what that resulted in was like an uptick in a service charge for the people buying tickets completely bullshit infuriates me makes my blood boil uh and for the other part it's just like for bands that are just wanting to play shows they're sort of excluded from the process if they're not part of the the existing machinery of the music business
0: right you know i do understand like the 500 600 capacity and up venues doing this because it's hard to do that independently without having a whole network and that whole network was just kind of absorbed by one company to do all the booking handle all the logistics so if i had a 600 cap venue that i was running myself and someone came to me and was like we will pay you and do all the booking and it's going to be packed everyone every night. And everyone in the city is going to love all the shows that they see here. Mm -hmm. I would be like, well, okay, here you go. Here you go. But I don't, I'm a little place. There's no, not yet. No major companies buying up 200 capacity venues.
1: Let's talk about a little anecdote here. Okay. Uh, There was a few years ago (laughs) I popped. No, this is related because I'm just curious about what your take is on that. If you can offer one but um lady gaga played the five spot yes. this is i whenever this was 17 2017 ish right yes. um yes. and so i just re- i didn't know except that i was riding my bike past the club and i, I was like what, what's going on here there's a line all the way to the, to the five points intersection of people right. and i can't re- really remember um but it was maybe the next day or something i had to go into the club uh, ask you probably to play a show or something but there was just like bud light posters on every single surface of right. the wall speaking um, of
0: reco- little yeah and, and i was just like you
1: know great you know b- wonderful for todd because you got a little payday i i, I guess i imagine yeah, you yeah, better yeah. have uh the club got packed with people who wouldn't you know they were definitely from outside east nashville largely um or it wasn't a normal like. it, it was a nor- were, not a normal it was yeah, not a normal thing five we were crowd.
0: rented out for a basically a Bud Light commercial mm. and uh, luckily it, the artist was Lady Gaga we didn't even know they didn't tell us mm-hmm they were just like what if we gave you this amount of money would you shut down for four days and let us do something special we said yes <laughs> and we used that money to pay all the bands that were supposed to be booked to play all the bands were like oh we're gonna get paid okay sure yeah. uh, And I found out it was Lady Gaga, you know, a couple days before. I didn't really know who she... Yeah, whatever. I knew of Lady Gaga. I remember she wore like a meat suit and that was about it. Yeah. So they're rehearsing. They got everything set up. They shut down the whole neighborhood. Like they bought up Five Points. I remember the trucks were everywhere. There's trucks everywhere. Yeah. And look at like the stuff that people do now with just like tiny little cameras and it's all looks great. They had so many trucks they brought in so much gear they it, they shut down a whole intersection but any anyway, so band comes in they're rehearsing they have like a body double for her that's up on stage doing dancing while they get the lights just sure. right and because and so she's there all day um, everyone clears out the band comes sits at the bar and it's just me and the band. And we start having some drinks and I'm talking to the body double who wants to drink Jameson. And I just asked her how she got into this. How did you get into this job of yours as being a body double for Lady Gaga? And she was like, she's like, I'm Lady Gaga. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't even didn't realize I like, they were no, different people. No, you're not. And then the band was like, yeah, dude, this is actually her. Uh, then so she must have been quite charmed she was we had a great time yeah we had a fun night um that was the rehearsal night the night before she played so we stayed up way too late and it was just me and the band which one of the guys looked like the uh Dennis from Always Sunny in Philadelphia yeah (laughs) but we became good friends that night I don't even remember his name anymore I feel bad but we all enjoyed ourselves I've, we finally leave. We left the drummer, passed out on a table inside, locked up. Uh, sorry about that. But it was just weird. Like, I became friends with Lady Gaga for yeah. a night and, like, drank a whole lot of Jameson with her. Um, and then she did her thing the next day, which was the Bud Light commercial, which was, like, live to YouTube –
1: so were there, those people that were waiting around the corner, were they extras for the commercial? They got like guests, uh, um, fan there in the fan club.
0: Uh. So they got like special tickets to come and be at the thing. So she did her recording for the commercial and then when all the, they cleared out, she let like a hundred some people just outside that didn't have that special pass to come in and she did another performance for them Oh wow! and then she oh she also came and talked to my partner diane the original owner who was in a immobilized in a wheelchair she came over and hugged her and talked to her for a while that's pretty sweet and that lady loved lady gaga that's another thing meat suit and diane loves lady gaga (laughs) that's all i knew about her so diane was so happy but she couldn't like express her talk she was just like a body in a wheelchair yeah like i could kind of see a smile forming yeah so she was super happy diane didn't
1: live much longer after that but it was a very special night yeah that's amazing i'm like, glad i asked yeah yeah because to me it was a line of people outside that's all i knew yeah, yeah there was a whole other thing that happened it was fun. Yeah. yeah and, was and then like two months later all
0: the people that i was just palling up with and drinking too much and making jokes and having a good time they're the Super Bowl halftime band <laughs> and I'm at a friend's house watching the Super Bowl just pointing at the screen like that Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he's on the just pointing at the TV like <laughs> like this like I did that the whole time I'm like that,
1: that drummer slept. That, that guy slept on
0: the table and I locked him in the five spot and now he's on the Super Bowl
1: halftime show this is It was wild amazing it really was um okay i want to get back to some more highlights okay wait no button it up then she came back the next day yeah
0: after all that when i just had a regular show and there's i forget who's playing um but she hung out and watched them hung out at the bar bought the band stuff and then they all left
1: you know That's, that's cool totally normal class act yeah it was great um let's have some more stories in a minute okay but uh I want to ask you, cause this was when I pitched you for the, for the show. Uh, I, I wanted to know this from your perspective. I thought this would be helpful to, to people, um, booking wherever, whatever venue is in their city, but particularly a five spot, which is that like, what don't artists understand about promotion? And when they book a, a club gig, what are, what does a club owner want to see an artist do that they in the club owners too busy to like express that to them. This is your moment.
0: Uh, um, so just, if you are an unknown person that's never played the scene before you, it's tough. You yep. have to have a video of your band playing live. Uh, Cause that's what you need to see. You need to send off like when you actually want to book the show it's like what do you do send me a video when do you want to do it send me some dates and I will reply with how we operate and which one do you want an early show or a late show and it, but what a lot of people do they just send me hey I want to play a show on this date here's my Instagram account and like
1: I don't even bother looking at those anymore mm. Uh, are I they doing so that many. because they look in the house, look and see how many followers I have and then you'll know that yeah, I'm yeah but all that's fake now yeah totally so I can't I've looked at people's
0: Instagram pages and see them playing a guitar and they have like 200,000 followers and I get suckered in and I do it and like four people show up to see them they're not really that good at playing their guitar and singing at the same time the Spotify music they sent me sounds really good. Cause you can polish a turd these days. And so what people need to see now is a video of you playing what you're going to play on the stage. When you get there, like this is what I'm going to do while I'm playing on your stage.
1: And it doesn't a, matter if the, the video, the production quality is like top shelf. It could just be a phone. No, just capture what, what you do.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, nowadays anyone can put a cell phone an iphone or any phone that anybody has it's going to be way better quality than anything you saw like professionally done or not perfect like your buddy's got some good cameras and microphones in the early 2000s or even 2012 like this thing buries that yeah it's just set it
1: down and just play even if it's in your basement so, like, so you're making choices, aesthetic choices based on what you books. to, I mean, that's, that's a surprise to me a little bit. I thought that club owners are so busy. They're just like, how many people are you going to bring? I don't even know or care how the music sounds. There's a,
0: there's some of that.
1: Yeah. Um, well for, for sure. someone, but there's I, still some of <laughs> like, do you suck or not?
0: And there's. Yeah, but
1: like you'll watch still how much of a through. video like, you're just like you're watching a video, unless it's like blows your blows you away, you're, right. you're kind of watching to be like, okay, this person is a legit right. artist who can competently be up on a stage and right. get through a song, yeah, and sing in tune I, and play with rhythm.
0: Yesterday <clears throat> or last night, I saw the perfect example. I should have brought an example like that. I remembered who it was, but the video was, Hey, we're so and so from. Right here. And the drummer's like, one, two, three, four. And they play. And it's good. And I watched a verse and a chorus. And I was like, cool. That's it. Yeah, That's all I need to see. Yeah, People send me their recordings that they've done in studios. uh, And their social media pages. Where it's like what they ate. Or like a professional photographer a picture of them. Them holding a guitar. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah. They're like, I have 50,000. Uh, followers on Instagram and then you look at all the comments and the comments are all like you know spam yeah f- follow uh, what's the one that's always promote this on Tennessee families or yeah. like I see that all the time it's also fake the only thing at this moment in time I can't say in 10 years it's going to be different the only thing that's real is a video of what you're going to do on the stage yeah if That's it. I mean, there's more to it. There's like being able to communicate properly a little bit. Right. But I, people don't understand they're talking to me and I am not like the most professional person Like if the grammars bad. I don't really care about that. You know? Yeah.
1: I just want to know. You do want to see the, what will happen on stage if they get the gig. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's, I get, people get mad at me. If what
0: happens on stage is like not mediocre, pleasing. Yes. Mediocre's fine. <laughs> Mediocre's fine. Like if you're you know, if it's if you're charismatic enough and you, you can be really good with a crowd, just talking to people, have lots of friends in the neighborhood, be a bar fly that could pack the place out and just mm-hmm. play awful. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of that. Yeah. And, you know, that's fun. Sure. It's still fun. Like, it's not, this guy is not going to be the next Bruce Springsteen or whatever. But
1: we're all here
0: having a party while he does what what he's doing up there.
1: Okay, so maybe I wonder if there's two categories here. There's like an in town band and an out of town band. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so do you get out of town bands emailing you on their own behalf? Yes. And how many of them do you book and what do they need to know too? Cause they might see this because it's like, say they pass, you know, they send you the video mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, this, these are competent. They're right. at, the le- at least mediocre. Um, you pull the trigger. Cool. Here's a date. We agree. What, what then i let me maybe preface this before you answer being like gut feeling is you're going to say hey do you know a local act that you can partner with right um because nobody's going to come especially in nashville maybe in other cities no. but nobody's going to come and see an out of town band they never heard of
0: there's so, i know there's a couple got, of regulars i know a handful of people that are seeing music every night um
1: how but, many of okay. those people how many ish 20 I was going to say five. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
0: So you're a so-and-so band from Columbus, Ohio. Here's our video of us playing. Usually touring bands have a video nowadays. That's like, it's becoming standard. standard. So you can, and that just shows up at the bottom of the email. I can see their videos. And then if they say, we know this band and this band in town, and I know those bands and they're fun, I'll book the show right away. If I like the music that they sent me, Um, I will think about bands in town that they would pair with, but I'd still ask them, what bands do you know in town mm. that can join you? Because then it, they're doing a lot of the work
1: for me, which is great. Because it takes so long to- I was try. gonna say, just the fact that you would cons- Spend time thinking about what bands might work with this out-of-town band. That is like a a God bless your Christian soul kind of perspective. (laughs) That is insane, man. Um just imagine how long it takes.
0: It's like, okay, I know the contact for this person. If I have to email a band, like they're gonna get back to me in two weeks. You know, yeah. Most of the the better the band is, the longer it takes them to respond from their their band email. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why it is, but it takes a long time. Sometimes I'll have a band's phone number or I'll know where they work and I'll just go there for just to get a drink and be like, "Hey, you, do you want to play this show? It'll be great." That works. But coming to me with bands that they know to add on to the bill with them. That's how you do it. Mm -hmm. number one number two do a little research into the music scene like look up the nashville scene of cincinnati whatever that's called or each wherever you want to go look into their local music media stuff or somehow ask some questions to some people you know there to find out what bands are cool for what Mm -hmm. you do and then if you don't know them tell the venue that you want to play with these bands, but you don't know them, and then the v- venue won't have to spend time thinking and yeah, contacting it's other acts. It's still, it's still yeah. I will contact them, and so it. Because otherwise, no one's going to be there.
1: Yeah, you gotta have local help. Yeah, to bring people.
0: I mean, it would be great if every mid-sized venue in town could just book. Yeah. You know, good music and then people just show up sure. every night and it's just packed and it's full. I but, mean,
1: there are clubs like that in the country, but they're not A, usually open every, you know, six, seven nights a week. And B, they're not in towns where there's just so much going on. So this is a right. different this is kind of a hyper uh competitive experience yeah. for venues and artists alike. I think that one takeaway that I just got from that is just like the more proactive an artist. Can be to and like understand the challenge and address it in advance. They, they do themselves and the club and their experience.
0: Yeah. But that also goes wonders. to for your local shows as well. Yeah. For sure. But usually local people, local bands, if you came to me wanting to book a show, you would say, I want to play sometime around here, hopefully this date with this person and this person. Mm. And I would say, okay. Okay. Let's do it.
1: Yeah, I feel like you uh, have what it takes to be a rock star, just in terms of the shrewd. No, talent aside, no. Though I don't know either way. No,
0: I couldn't. I couldn't do it traveling around. I would snap. I tried it one time, really quick, like being a touring sound engineer. Yeah, and I did not even. I lasted like two weeks.
1: You just don't like like van life or bus life, and did not the routine, which is funny because the venue experience has got to be pretty similar in a way. It's just all the traveling and the I'm hotel. very grounded. I have my house and I have my route to
0: work and yeah. I spend a lot of time on those in those two places. Yeah. And I, and I love it and I like to make, to fix both of them and make nice things for them. Yeah. I'm not the type of person that would travel around like 50,000 years ago. I probably wouldn't be a nomadic person would be not. like what if we just stayed right here <laughs> totally
1: like, guys like why this is a pretty good spot this is a
0: nice spot right here why do There's we have river. to river you guys we're just constantly walking around yeah and we stay in one spot for like a night and then we have to pack up and go i did not like what's the I point i did not do well i quit that job like live on stage during the band well it was a sound check when i really quit uh and it was great
1: to quit yeah yeah that was the last thing I ever quit. I, mean, I think one of the important, you know, important ingredients of a successful life is knowing what you are. That Not was the last does. job I ever quit.
0: Like I yeah. haven't quit this one yet, but yeah, I quit that one because the original owners of the five spot had just, <clears throat> they had lost their house in the tornado. Like mm-hmm. I said earlier, and they were selling the club to windows on the Cumberland. And I was mm-hmm. on the road with um, Hank, the third just, every night in a different city on a bus. And they tell me this when I'm on the phone in like California or Iowa, they tell me that they're selling the club to windows on the Cumberland. And I was like, I don't do don't sell the club. And I immediately called Travis up who I was working there with. I was like, don't let bones and Diane sell the club. I'm quitting. I'm coming back. I have an idea. So I came back. I stayed up for like, I don't know, I guess that night I called up some business friends that I knew other 27 year olds that kind of had their life together and had their own businesses. I called them up. How did you do this? And they told me just what I needed to do and got back to Nashville and was just like, Travis and I are going to buy in. So, but I quit, uh, that job during soundcheck and just cussed out the whole production crew that I was with at the time, which was one other guy. Basically I didn't get along with one guy, but it didn't help that I didn't like the fact that I'm like, Oh wow, I'm in California right on the beach. And they're like, yes, but you have to bring everything in and set everything up. And then after the show you have to fix my guitar. I know you're not a guitar tech, but you have to fix this. And so It was one time we're on the road this is in two weeks worth of stuff it's not very long at all um long but i was already like i'm so mad we're the i know the ocean's nearby i was looking at the beach i didn't get to jump into the pacific ocean i grew up like an ocean kid i want to go jump in the pacific and i couldn't because i had to work and it but we were stopped on the side of the road and joe buck the bass player comes on he's like oh man i was just down on the beach the ocean sounds great and i realized we were stopped right there i just took all my clothes off and jumped into the ocean it was amazing uh i quit the next
1: day i'm glad you got that in
0: yeah it's the only time i've ever jumped in the pacific ocean
1: really yeah man uh are you so you were from the atlantic side yes ocean city maryland
2: okay
0: um. Yeah, so I quit that. Sorry, my stories have like they go a g e, f d. There's I should try and work on that. But um,
1: how did I, what were we talking about? Well, <laughs> it was just the, the you knew you knew what you didn't want. You quit out on the road, right? And you came back. Oh, because you're a homebody. I'm a homebody. Yeah, and I I could say, like, I understand that. I mean, I've had, I grew up in a little town in Idaho and um, same house the whole time, then moved one time to the Pacific Northwest, went to college out in Seattle area and lived there for my whole 20s, had bands and stuff. And um, all I wanted to do then was tour constantly. And just, I just, my goal was like to, I just want to know what it's like to be sick of touring. Impossible to do out of Seattle. And that's why I moved here and uh and then I got to do that and then I was finally sick of I mean I was there was a time in my life when I played played 150 shows a year it was probably 4 or 5 years I was just constantly on the road and in hindsight it's just remarkable to me because I love this little spot right this neighborhood <laughs> and anytime we have to even cross the river I'm a little grumpy about it there's you know? so many great
0: musicians that didn't leave there house and they never like um uh nilson harry nilson yeah right he didn't ever play a live show i didn't and, know that but and he's got i mean, i could be wrong but i'm pretty sure like maybe he got up and played once i don't think he ever played a live show he just made good music and people bought it it was great um i mean that's uh, the way you do it even when i first moved out of my parents house for college life uh when i ended up at mtsu in murfreesboro our house was where bands stayed so every band came and they played at the red rose which was a coffee shop uh kind of bar at night it's like a coffee shop that sold beer and they had shows at night and it was not acoustically Um, treated at all Uh, but bingham the owner who's now grand palace if you know grandpaus they do screen printing and lots of oh yeah okay uh, art stuff merch they're yeah. a merch company but he owned the red rose and many great bands were coming through and they would all come and stay at our house at my house and i would b- i built like double decker couches and bunk beds for all the bands to stay um uh, so even in those young like double decker couches like
1: a couch and then a space like and another couch s-
0: seating okay oh no, okay. yeah couch here and back and then another couch and all around the whole room yeah and could lots of bands could sleep in there i mean think of a small band in the year 2001 that you probably saw at a rock club
1: yes like they, they probably they crashed
0: there crashed at my house yeah. um you know recently someone from the band party of helicopters was talking to me and i was like you guys stayed at my house and you stole all my dvds (laughs) so no (laughs) for 20 some years later i'm not i'm not gonna book your band i'm still (laughs) mad
1: yeah dude uh um well let's uh let's take a second to look (laughs) at some visual aids that you were kind enough to send me and i thought that we could pull up a couple of pictures of kyle can do it and um i think this is kind of a bit of a history or some highlights some cool people that have played and i I don't know what's going to happen but i i never i never take pictures sure
0: um i've never i'm when i first started hanging out in nashville nightclubs like people weren't being like oh my goodness look at that famous person i want to get a picture with them like that just wasn't a thing you didn't freak out when a famous person was nearby you would be like hey can i get you a drink whatever treat them mm-hmm. like a normal person they felt comfortable mm-hmm. uh so i never took pictures of people cameras i'm always working i'm sure there's lots of professional photographs in the world of stuff that happened but i just didn't have them um
1: that makes these all the more special I
0: think. Uh, <laughs> but now i'm you know it was when anthony bourdain came to uh Edgefield and everybody was getting selfies with him I was like it's over mm. this is famous people are going to be treated like famous people around here now that's yeah how it, it didn't is.
1: used to be yeah for sure
0: but that's Bobby Bear
1: um, a classic mainstay of the five spot
0: <laughs> the Bobby Bear Jr. is more of a mainstay uh, that's his dad that's pretty cool with Lore, Lore plays in driving and crying right now uh-huh. which I was super into driving and crying in the 90s and now this guy from Estonia, I think, is playing in the band. The country of Estonia? Or is that a band name? It's from the country. Okay. And it, I might be getting the wrong country.
1: Well, but, but it, it's like I mean one of there's those a whole contingent of like Russian Estonia. great pickers pickers. So this could be that.
0: He's great. Uh I think this is Brett Resnick on the Lap Steel. I can date stuff by what's hanging from the ceilings. And this is like early 2014 maybe yeah <laughs> okay and it's a candy cane on the ceiling so it's wintertime because i cover the ceiling with candy canes that i bought from the dollar general and hooked up to my light switcher and so they would bounce around with the stage lights and the party lights so
1: fun yeah
0: it's oh nice. my goodness. It's one of those
1: those local touches yeah yeah no <laughs>
0: uh buddy spiker lived behind us in what is now the treehouse restaurant and he's like a pretty he's a fiddle player um old gray whistle test did you ever watch that
1: yeah with uh bob um the the british show
0: yeah yeah with all the bands playing, the intro theme song was his band okay um uh area code 615 they were called yeah i remember That, that,
1: that you know weird things chris scruggs nice you know Uh, buddy spiker uh that that used to be called the fiddle shop Mm. is that is that was that the uh, fiddle shop was his house yes that's what i'm asking his
0: wife he bought that in like the early 70s and then he bought the house next door for his wife to live in and his secret he'd be like the secret to a happy relationship is to buy your wife a separate house (laughs) ha (laughs) ha (laughs) ha whatever uh they don't get along but they're both still alive i think okay but I don't think they really get along. That's why they. Have is he still?
1: Or, he's still in the scene, or is he <laughs> no, like in East I Nashville? Hope he's, he's doing going.
0: well, but I think he's just an old man on a couch. His grandson uh, opened up Pearl Diver, and a oh, wow. place next door. So he's like neighborhood royalty in a way. Yeah, for sure he is. Uh, he was cool. Let's see. This is an old picture with I can. Uh, dated by the red and green light and that five spot drum there but this was just a normal night in the around 2010 to 2015 maybe it could be older than that no mm-hmm. that's margo price doing back backup vocals and yeah. tristan yeah. tristan owns anaconda village and i don't know if you ever listened to tristan i but you
1: know i played a show with her she's my favorite
0: she's my daughter loves her also caitlin rose is singing this is probably a country western wednesday Uh that we used to do there's another picture that corresponds with this i think let's see it's probably not in order though oh colin hay from men at work yeah sure you know yeah it's a terrible
1: picture but um that's all I got. How did that, li- how did that uh, gig come about? Did we do people the, reach out or
0: we do the Aussie fest during Americana fest, oh. the Aussie barbecue. Um, so it's the uh, um, Aussie sounds, uh, sounds Australia is like a, some type of group. That yes. It's a couple of fine gentlemen run and they bring this party to America once a year. It's one of my favorite days. Hmm. It's, mid September. But all day long it's just a room full of Australians and Australian singers. And we got Colin Hay that night. That's great. Uh legend. Yeah. Let's see who's that.
1: David only. <clears throat> eh, oh, you know. Rest in peace. Uh
0: yeah, David played all he played often. And there's so many better pictures of him. Like John Partapillo has this picture of him playing with candy canes off in the distance, and it's just magical. But yeah, he just he passed away right before
1: the pandemic. Hit. Yeah, I remember a uh, writer's writer. <clears throat> everyone I played a was, show with him.
0: Everyone was at his memorial and being like, because <coughs> oh, right, you, cause you know, it was, just, it was like March. Yeah, end of March, maybe.
1: That's like right when it was really happening. Right, the, we
0: were shut down. Like, remember we had that tornado? Yeah, I, goodness gracious. Uh, Frannie Lee, which was East, she hung out there all the time. This is probably this is Phil Kaufman's seventy fifth birthday. Franny Lee was the uh, art director or something like that on Saturday Night Live. Oh wow! And when it first started, so she made the Blues Brothers outfits. Hm. Uh, they were originally in like banana suits or something and they did this like business skit before and there was no time to change she was like just she put hats on them gave them a briefcase and was like go out and do your thing so that's she, she made land shark and they she made the cone heads oh wow like came up with all this and yeah. made them the cone heads for that's crazy but yeah franny was a staple on the right or left on the left that's okay. diane on the right oh, okay. who's the original owner i was going left to right uh, original owner. She bought the building in the nineties. She made it a recording studio. So that's why the room is, it sounds the way it does. Cause it's a false wall on the back corner is like a false wall with a big air gap. The ceilings all acoustic acoustically sprayed with foam. And there's other little additional wall things. So being a studio that she ran that walk-in cooler in the back was like the tracking room. <laughs> Is that still there? Is that cooler? Yeah, it became the tracking room again during the pandemic because wow. that's where we sat to do the audio mixes for the live streams.
1: Gotcha. Because you would have bands in during the pandemic. They would be on the stage doing it. Yeah. Uh, well, let's get back to that, but okay. uh, more more f- pictures. Oh, Jerry Pentecost,
0: oh, yeah. who was uh, the door guy there for a long time. People, he had a history of basically live tweeting or whatever you called it back then of working the door. Uh, it's not an easy job to be a door person for big, crazy party nights, but he was there for a long time. One day he came to me and asked if he could do a country night on Wednesdays when everyone's in town. Uh, Cause he wanted to get better at playing country music. He, I met him when he was we were both very young and he was in like kind of heavy emo screamo bands, just like like, yeah. And then he kind of mellowed down, worked the doors. One of the greatest drummers he has to do a country night. It became country Western Wednesdays and that went on for a couple years. And there was different guests all the time. That's how we had like the Bobby bears and Lucinda and Mm. it was like, so many great people um, that Jerry hooked up and Jerry would meet all these people and everyone would bring these people in and he got better at playing country music. He ended up playing with old crow medicine show and yeah, now he's
1: Bob Dylan's drummer. That's insane, dude. I didn't know that as of when the past year. Wow. Um, he just never talk about that. We talk pretty regular. He comes over for yeah. our little parties and stuff. He's, I, I guess he I don't know he's playing with Bob Dylan. he's such I'm a talented glad. guy and he's such a um he's a genial guy you know like everybody loves Jerry Pentecost yeah. I remember him um arranging like a deal at the Country Music Hall of Fame uh with Headley and uh it was a, a bunch of you know cats in the sort of I mean Headley is is Joshua Headley's like Modern day classic country music incarnate He's so good There's a lot of people that kind of peripherally involved That were part of that But anyway, Jerry coordinated all that Jerry's a very hard worker Yeah, Um,
0: And he would sit at the door And practice drums all night Mm -hmm. And it really didn't bother anybody else And then other drummers would come in And work the door And they'd be like They'd do it And everyone would be like Will you please stop? It's so annoying And they're like (laughs) But Jerry does it every night that he works and we're like,
1: we don't, <laughs> he's not we you. don't
0: notice it. He must be somehow practicing along <laughs> with music or something that's going on. <laughs> yeah. A, yeah. He's like so in the pocket, sitting at the door that it never bothered me. And how do you explain that to another person when they're like, you let this person do it. Yeah. You can't be like, well, I don't,
1: I don't want to tell you, man. They're,
0: I let them do it. I'm not going to let you do it because it's annoying. Anyways, Jonathan Richmond. Uh,
1: this young would, man didn't know who that was. Oh, right.
0: Well, Jonathan Richmond would come and play two nights, a few years there. Uh, his old manager was Phil Kaufman, who lives in the neighborhood. Who was the the road mangler, the guy that burned Grand Parsons' body in the
1: desert? Oh, wow! The uh, stuff of legend.
0: You know? Who yeah, I know the about? story. So I didn't know
1: I didn't know the, who involved lived here in town. Phil Kaufman,
0: yeah. Some of these pictures were from Phil Kaufman's 75th birthday party. Mm. So I'm guessing he's probably over 85 now. Wow! But he was Jonathan Richmond's manager, and so he brought him in and um, just cool. Just night. One of the special nights. Yeah. Yeah. Real quiet. Oh, this is Lily Hyatt from, yeah. who knows? I mean, this is probably like 2007, 8? Wow. It's hard to tell. Maybe I can tell with a drum set. Nope. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Lily Hyatt. I sent a bunch of pictures. She's great. I don't She's know great. who's in her band. Oh, that's Dylan Napier playing drums back there. Mm. He plays with uh, Margot Price now. Oh, that's me in the background from the hit tv show this picture made the cut we and Collar were wondering yeah <laughs> i don't know why I it's came Raina there. There um, and i'm just you asked me to go through pictures and i'm no, like why great, did man. i take a screen capture of it but yeah that's me and the background that's my my imdb page should have like nashville background bartender many times but that's me
1: nice how were those experiences did you enjoy them or were they just kind of the a-
0: it was one of those times where I follow around the camera guy. This mm-hmm. was even before we even thought about filming at the five spot, but mm-hmm. I would still follow people around, look at their gear. Everyone, all the tech guys would come in. What's really funny is that during all these shows and like music videos from professional people, like like Mary Steenberger Berger. Yeah. That's like, am I saying her She's name timeless,
1: right? timeless. good enough for me.
0: Okay. Ted Danson's yeah. wife. Like, whoa. She's in there, sitting there all day doing a music video. And the whole crew, there's only the one bathroom. They're all ripping just gnarly dumps all day. <laughs> and so the room just smelled so bad. She had to sit right next to it. And she's first one to bring it up. And then during the same thing would happen during the, the TV show. And so recently there's been like a clause added that, people need an outdoor bathroom like the stars coming in
1: need an uh, outdoor bathroom like a honey bucket or like maybe a trailer nice bathroom yeah they're I've fancy
0: yeah that's funny well <laughs> the last one i saw that uh, i was like that's a good idea because these crew dudes are they do not eat healthy they're beasts yeah they don't eat healthy no. and it's just shows with what they do to the building all day <laughs> from because they get there early they're there at like 4 a.m yeah. chugging coffee you know yeah. They did not have time,
1: yeah, before they left their house. And there's just the one, the one toilet in there. It's for that for the dudes. Yeah. We have four, but
0: two in each one. Four toilets that I have to cater to. Um, sit down. Yes, in we the, don't have any urinals in the men's room.
1: Oh, maybe I. Yeah, I guess I, that's the, right. Diane, the original owner. I love how, how the door it. opens at the club, and it's just like you know yeah you might see a dong this for real the soundboard used to
0: be at the other end of the bar so that is a direct shot soundboard bathroom door small stall small stall opens up dudes just go in there start peeing so all night i'm just sitting there running sound like penis penis (laughs) penis penis Penis. i've seen so many penises yeah just sitting there running sound
1: and that would that, not happen at a corporate club. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's kind of local color. now.
0: It doesn't, it's not as, it's basically the same. But like the door, the way the door,
1: it's not as bad. No. Well, I'm just saying that it probably is. I'm, maybe that's an improvement. Maybe not. I don't but know. But yeah.
0: Many penises. Well, look who this is. Emmy Lou who, Phil, that's Phil Kaufman again. I guess all these pictures, I just couldn't pick one. So I just dragged a whole stack of them over. But Phil Kaufman. His chart says he's 75, so I can confirm that it's his 75th birthday. And he was Emmy Lou Harris's manager as well. And like so many people. So yeah. like, I read his book. He has a book out about his life. Um, Worth so, reading. Yeah, I mean. I mean, I, I love, I love music if you're history stuff. That, you know, I, I, I totally am. I don't know. If it's not something happening in space with some like serious hard sci-fi going on, i fall asleep like it's tough yeah so I probably didn't read all of Coffin's <laughs> book to be honest uh, those darlings which was like a Nashville staple and for, uh, like right when the m- most recent scene of me arriving on Nashville I feel like those darlings kind of came at the same time mm. and um, was just one of the, my favorite bands they started off like this just three of them actually it started off with them like stomping on boxes mm-hmm. while playing traditional country stuff. And then they kind of started getting heavier and Linwood started playing drums with them. And they just kind of became like a, one of my favorite rock bands. Uh, and then they got super artsy and broke up. And then, uh, Jesse Zazu in the middle, mm-hmm. she joined this band. Uh, cause Kelly was the, at the Nashville, Rock and Roll t- uh, Southern Girls Rock and Roll Camp. The first year that they did this. Have you heard of Southern Girls Rock and Roll Camp? Uh it's a camp in Murfreesboro for girls to go and learn how to b- form a band. Like they have to have some musical background probably, but you learn how to play guitar, bass, form a band, whatever. Okay. Jesse went to this camp the first <clears throat> year, met the counselors they formed this band and then it just came out of that so uh then jesse ended up with cancer and died at a very young age um and it's that's kind of depressing i think about her a lot we have the same birthday oh wow so i can't really be like oh it's my birthday i mean she's
1: still a much loved and celebrated member of the community i mean she passed but a few years there's still a
0: foundation in her
1: name Mm -hmm. that
0: people can donate to and it goes to good stuff
1: um, did anybody else in the, in those darlings go on, have a solo career or no,
0: Nikki's an artist in like England or something. And Kelly is doing, she's doing good stuff. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure they're all still playing music, but wow, party cannon. <laughs> uh, this is what like my beginning at the five spot like this is kind of what I picture was shows like this. Um this is not Party Cannon. This is Totally Snake. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay. Totally Snake. We'll edit that out. It's <laughs> <That's> embarrassing. <laughs> they same time as Party Cannon was a band called Totally Snake, which was one of my favorite disasters ever. Like <laughs> these guys <laughs> barely played a song. All of their songs were like the anthem part of a song, <laughs> the chant, the crowd chant its like basically what the whole song was. <laughs> like they, they had songs called like Snakeskin Socks and uh, Standing on the Shoulders of Snakes <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, I Was Drunk, you know, just stuff. I have their set list. They were not a band for very long, but they're all friends. They've all gone on to do interesting, unique things. Uh, yeah. i have their set list probably from this show um,
1: on the wall behind the bar what an honor yeah yeah i keep few bands can say that, that
0: yeah that. uh they were super fun the drummer now owns the bomb shelter recording studio which has done some grammy winning stuff mm-hmm. um he's it you know every single one of them uh, i can almost look at this picture and tell you what everyone's gone off in their life to do the beginning days back when we were we young 22 year olds no this would be 27
1: same thing the guitar player what's he doing which one uh the shirtless guy oh the shirtless guy which one i mean he's holding a guitar i think
0: (laughs) man he's like in a tech company
1: oh wow he grew up He's doing great. Well, fuck him. That's it. Oh, man. Uh. Okay. Well, let's uh dude, you've been talking forever. Thank you so much. Um, but I have a few more, few more, or maybe one more question to see where it goes. But uh, maybe the question is, have you noticed the difference between people coming out to see shows, apart from like getting older as people do, but like the crowds has, have the crowds changed from when you started to now?
0: Totally. In what way?
1: Well, do you remember
0: lots of people going to like Raves and that's being where most of the people go to like it seems like nowadays the e d m shows are so packed, and that's like the late that's what the late night crowd does mm-hmm. our early shows lately have been doing great it's a whole new world um our early shows have had pretty good crowds out the late shows like a Wednesday nine o'clock show, people going on at 11 o'clock, they have to really bring it and they have to really bust their butt to get people to come out and to stay there. Yeah, You know, people aren't staying out as late. We used to be kicking people out at 255. Like you have to leave, it's illegal and like (laughs) forcing people out. And that's, people go to normal bars for that now, I guess. Like all the new dive bar theme bars that are opening up all around us. That's where the younger kids go to. And they're like, oh, it's so cool here. You know, whatever. Uh, So there's the amount of bands has dwindled because no one can afford to live in the neighborhood anymore. So they're Mm -hmm. making bands other places and they're playing. There's just not as many. Yeah. I mean I'm sure D's D's has it a little bit easier it's more of a friendly neighborhood bar that just has like one band play for a while and another one play the, the later set I don't know I don't really know how they do stuff but um, people are moving even further away Yeah, and they have uh, less disposable income because everything costs so much and they're, everyone's getting paid a little bit better but still not quite enough I don't know. When I moved to this neighborhood, it was three of us in a house, all paying like $200 a month mm-hmm. in rent and stuff. And we had multiple bands. Bands would come record at our house and stuff. I used to drive home from the five spots to my house and hear bands coming out of every house. <laughs> and then now I come home and there's like strollers at every house or like a yeah. big, huge Jeep that's like, don't tread on me tags. <laughs> <laughs> in like a $800,000 duplex right on the train tracks. Just like maybe those people are going out and they are. Cause I met one of those dudes out. That's right. You were telling uh, me. It wasn't the don't tread on me Jeep guy. Uh, I don't think that guy, he might go to Broadway. I don't know, but the whole dynamic has changed recently. Yeah. And
1: just, how have you adapted or have you had to, or what have you done differently And the, did this change happen before the pandemic or after or after really? Yeah. yeah I mean, 29- I feel like the pandemic made everybody just, sh- everything kind of shifted to two hours earlier or something. You know, it's like people, yes. I f- feel it I'm all but I'm old, but I don't, you know, stay out late. Um, But I think that there's just generally speaking, like restaurants aren't open that late anymore.
0: I mean, the gas station and five points that used to be open to like four to get all the people buying beer when they're getting kicked out of the bars, they close at like 10 o'clock. It's crazy. So I don't, it's just strange. Yeah. Uh, We concentrate a little bit harder on the earlier shows Mm -hmm. and more people are coming out to the early shows. I love the early shows,
1: man. It's great. Yeah.
0: You know, I can go see some of the best music ever. When I'm not working, it's my night off. My wife's like, what should we do? I'm like, we should probably go to work and watch, uh, you know, She's this band that. play. She's like, okay, great. <laughs> and, w- and we do it. She loves it. I mean, she works there Mondays and was, Fridays for bartending. Cool. Yeah. But um, concentrate more on the early shows and just try to find what works for late night stuff. Mm I don't know. People want to go to normal bars. I get it. Uh, But that's how it's always been. Yeah. People are like, dude, why are we so dead on a Wednesday night at midnight nowadays? And I go through my brain. I'm like, we, we were always, turns out we were always dead on Wednesday nights at midnight. It's just the way it always is. It's just, we're seeing more people late night. Like if I, go out to the new bar down the street at midnight on a wednesday it's packed Mm -hmm. so that's pretty cool but how do i get them to come out and watch someone playing some cool tunes just for them (laughs) that's the challenge and that's the how the challenge has always been
1: what the soul nights do well or the dance what was that a monday night's dance parties those gotta like those are still slamming right yeah
0: they are i don't understand it i Kind of understood it when we started it in 2007 when me and some neighborhood friends were putting music on it from an iPod on a Monday night because we were closed. And, you know, I had the keys to the place. I'm like, let's leave this bar and go back to the five spot and just put on some music and act like idiots. And we did that one night. And then the next Monday we did it again few Mondays later there's like 40 of us and the bars open I'm no longer just like giving out drinks to my friends because we're closed we were like let's open and maybe make some money off of this uh, a month later Nashville scene wrote up an article like the, the surprise party to be at is Monday nights at the five spot and then the next week there's like 300 people there and I was like I cannot I can't I can't do this this is too many people. Surely <laughs> next week that many people aren't going to show up. And then they just kept coming. That that was 20 years ago. And it hasn't stopped. Yeah. It's fun. It's a whole
1: new crop of people. Like the kid, like it's another generation. It's we're, we're playing oldies music. Yeah. Great. That's, that's it. it. Yeah, man. I mean, that's awesome. So like the, the takeaway is that you're, you're Okay clubs okay clubs okay it's always just been
0: getting by yeah and i think that's the only way like if it made
1: if it did too well then
0: we might be like get
1: lazy we get lazy you'd hire somebody else out to do your job and then you come down anymore and yeah
0: and all of a sudden i'm someone else's we're paying someone to get IDs out of the bottom of a toilet. Yeah. You don't want that. Yeah. It's gotta be your hand in there. $600 to clean the coil of the beer cooler. Yeah. Like, yeah. You lose your edge. You you have to be hands on at all times. Yeah.
1: Well, it makes me feel like we're in good hands here in the community. And, you know, I just, on behalf of all of us idiots who play music and make dreams come true in real time, um, thanks, man, for making this club so special and and what it is. yeah. And here's to another twenty years. yeah. but I'm only here for people to have a good time. So, so far, so good. Try it. The Morse Code Podcast is produced by Corby Lanker and Kyle Noctegall in East Nashville, Tennessee. Our executive producer is Randa Newman. You can find full video of this and all past episodes by visiting morsecodepodcast.com.